Good morning, my name is Tim, if we haven't met, and it's my privilege today to continue in our series, Both And. I invite you to take your Bible or electronic device and find your way to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Uh, Nothing graphic this morning, but do know that we're going to be talking about the subject of sex. So we'll be monitoring the room temperature. Um, We're going to talk about sex and holiness And some people might think that those two things are incompatible, like wet, dry, fun, boring, freedom, rules. They just don't go together. Sex and holiness, incompatible, especially when you think of it in the church. See, in the church, we talk about things that are spiritual, right? Uh, We don't talk about things like sex in the church because they just don't go together. Or... It's private, and because of that, it's uncomfortable to talk about sex. Even in a small group or a room with just a couple of people, it's not a topic that is really comfortable to talk about. I remember when I was uh, going through premarital counseling. So my wife-to-be and I were engaged in premarital counseling. My dad was a pastor, if you didn't know that. So he was marrying us, and we made the mistake of getting him to do the premarital counseling. Um, not a good idea, just word to the wise. Um, I mean, you, you, you got to talk about uncomfortable things to begin with. So how's it going to go with your in-laws? And he's sitting right in front of, you know, that, like that just doesn't work that well. And of course, any good premarital counseling includes a talk about sex. And um, I remember the day we're sitting in his office and he was uncomfortable, we're uncomfortable, and I don't remember anything except for these words, son keep your pants on. That's it. That's all I remember. It's an uncomfortable subject, even in private, how uncomfortable it is in a group of like hundreds of people. So, but here we are. And for some people, it's uncomfortable because we have this concept that sex is somehow dirty or naughty. And I hope this morning we're going to completely clean up that misconception. Sex was intended to be beautiful, and because of that, I'm not embarrassed to talk about it this morning. I do know in this room, or if someone is listening on, if you're listening on podcast, um, there will be those that what you're hearing, you're, you're, where you are, you're in a place of you're married, and sex is a normal expression of how you and your spouse express your love towards one another, and it's very healthy. I also know that you may be listening and you're married, And um, this is a subject of tension within your relationship. Some of you are here and you're quite young. And yet, you know, where you are in school, I mean, sex comes up all the time in conversation. Uh, You're invited to participate by looking, by watching, by seeing this or entering into this conversation or maybe even a relationship. Um, there'll be those, you're older, you're a young adult, but I mean, sex is, sex is all around you, the conversation, and you have desires, just like a marriage, married person would. You have a desire, you have sexual desires, and some of you are stewarding that well, but others of you, you're struggling, and some you've caved in, and, and you're participating, whether it's in a real relationship or maybe in the cyber world, in, in pornography. I mean, it's just so accessible today. So I know that no matter who you are, where you are, Um, You cannot be but touched by the subject. And and so the church shouldn't speak on it. Does that make any sense? Um, We have this false uh, misconception called the sacred secular split. And and it's, it's I believe, a misconception that faith has only, uh, the only relevant area that faith should be speaking to is like spiritual things. 
That it's only in that circle that, that faith has something to talk about. And it's like there's a brick wall between faith and all the other areas of life that are outside of whatever is deemed to be spiritual. Politics, business, and finances, and sex. That there's this wall between them. And faith has no right to speak into that realm. But the reality is, as you read your Bible and you see where Christianity takes you, is that Jesus Christ claims to be Lord of all things, of every part of your life, which includes your 24-7. So your finances, politics, business. It's not just what happens on Sunday. Your whole life becomes now under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And that includes how we look at and how we live out our sexuality all of it is to be under his lordship. And so as you read the Bible, you find that the Bible is not silent on this subject at all. It has lots to say. And there is a way to steward sex and sexuality so that we can please God and that it's good for our world. We're going to look at one scripture this morning. It's Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Let me first read it out of the ESV. Let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. In the King James it says this, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. A, a direct translation of the Greek of the beginning part of this sentence would go like this. Precious the marriage in all, and the bed undefiled. And so translators have to make a decision. Is this like an imperative? Is it a, a command or is it just a statement of fact? And you can see from the two translations, uh, the different translations have, have made different decisions on it. And maybe, it, maybe we can just take it as both. That, that this is something we need to obey to walk into. But at the same time, it's telling us that marriage is honorable. It's precious and the bed undefiled. And, and when we read that word bed, um, it's pretty easy to understand what it's representing. It's a euphemism. Just like we would today use the word bed to soften uh, the expression of the word sex. He went to bed with her. We would all understand what that, what that sentence would mean. They had sex together. And so we use the word bed. So it is here in this scripture. And how interesting is it in this verse that parked right next to the concept of sex is a word that is part of the holiness word cluster. Undefiled. The same, uh, the same word is used early in Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 7 verse 26 when it's used to describe Jesus. It says there... For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, referring to Jesus. Holy, innocent, unstained. That's the same word translated, undefiled, unstained. Separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. So in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4 we see sex, we see holiness together. Under the umbrella of marriage. And that is where the, the writer to Hebrews addresses the subject of sex. There it is, undefiled, pure, holy, parked in the concept of marriage together with it. And of course, that is no accident because this morning as we dig deeper, we're going to look at three things. We're going to find that sex is a gift from God given for marriage. We're going to see that sex outside of the realm of marriage is destructive. And lastly, that God judges sexual immorality. So let's begin. Sex, God's gift for marriage. 
uh, in the Gospels, when Jesus was approached with a question regarding, to, regarding divorce and remarriage, what he did was he pointed his questioners right back to the beginning of the story of Scripture. He took them right back to Genesis and he said, oh, let's go, let's go back and let's look at the purpose. We need to do the same thing with sex. Let's go back to the beginning and see what was intended by it. We read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. From the beginning, sex was God's idea. It's his creation. Uh, Nicky Gumbel, who was the pioneer of the Alpha series, uh, I just remember him talking about, um, like, this was God's design. This is his plan, this whole sex thing. And it's not like God is looking into the bedrooms of people today and going, oh, what on earth are these people up to? Like, he had no idea this was going to happen. No, this is God's creation right from the start. And even as we consider our body parts as heaven-spun creations, how has God made us? You don't have to be a scientist to see that our, the way that male and female are made, they, they are structured to fit and fulfill what God has actually commanded here in Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. Be fruitful and multiply. So how does fruitfulness happen? Well, I'm really hoping this morning you know the answer to that question. How does fruitfulness happen? Um, we're Adam and Eve walking in a wheat field one day, and Adam sneezed, hachoo, hachoo, and suddenly Eve was with child. Is that how it worked? Of course not. Um, did Adam sit on a toilet seat, and then Eve sat on the toilet seat afterwards, and she got pregnant through that encounter. Is that how it happened? These are some of the, the wives' tales I heard when I was a little child, you see. Um, is that how it happened? No, not at all. Like, read between the lines. When God says, be fruitful and multiply, what is God saying? He's saying, I want you to create a family of image bearers that will represent me, that will, will fill this earth, that, that will become a population of people that under my lordship and how they create things and how they, they make culture and how they relate to me and one another, they're, they're gonna give glory to God by having more and more, but that will only happen as the man and woman have sex. This is design, this is planned by God and in that they would experience pleasure by God's design. So see the chain here. Blessing. God blessed them. And then he said, be fruitful. Have sex. Multiply. This is so far from dirty and naughty. This is holy and sacred and beautiful and right at the heart of God's purpose and intention for mankind. We look a little further in the Genesis story in chapter 2. Uh, down to verse 24, after it talks about, uh, it, it unpacks what happened, how God created uh, a female partner for the man, Adam. And then it says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. It's projecting how this is going to work in the future. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. One flesh. They shall become one flesh. 1 Corinthians picks up that exact phrase and applies it directly to the act of sex. 
And I think it's just fitting that the talk we're doing today follows last week's talk on science and faith because the more we discover scientifically of what goes on in the physical activity of sex, the more we understand how true this statement is written thousands of years ago that they will become one flesh. In the activity of sex, there's this pathways are created in the brain so that you can go back to that experience more readily. And the brain releases this neurochemical called dopamine. And what that dopamine does is it tells a person, hey, you're feeling good. Like, this is good. This is pleasure. Enjoy this. God created it that way. There's more, though. We know that other chemicals are released in the brain and have tremendous, powerful bonding effect. It's like glue. The chemical oxytocin is released in a woman's body, in her brain. And, and this is the same chemical that's released when a woman is breastfeeding her child. And, and the purpose of that is that there's a bonding that goes on. There's a bonding takes place. That is also released in the activity of sex. There's a bonding that's happening when that occurs. There's a chemical called vasopressin that's released in the male. And, and as that's released, it's like his body is saying, I am yours, you are mine. There's a uniting, there's a oneness. Dr. Golden, Gordon Neufeld, in his book, Hold On to Your Kids, said, simply put, sex creates a potent connection and then harnesses the rest of the brain through chemicals the brain releases to preserve the bond that has been created. Sex creates couples, ready or not, Willing or not, sex is like human contact cement, invoking a sense of union and fusion, creating one flesh. How accurate Genesis was to say, and the two shall become one flesh. It's the sharing of the deepest part of people. The Old Testament uses the word to know. We use the word today, intimate. They became intimate with one another, and everybody understands what that means. It is a sharing of personhood that creates a biological, a, a social, an emotional, a, a physical oneness. And we desire that. We're wired for that. I'm here to say that sex is not the property of Vegas. It's not the property of the pornography industry. It's not something that's dirty. It's not meant, created, intended to be something that's shameful. It's a gift from God. It is designed to be pleasurable, beautiful, purposeful. A gift by God given to be experienced within the bounds of a covenant commitment of marriage between a man and a woman. And there sex is undefiled. Sex is pure. Sex is holy and sacred. Side point, it is a gift, but it is not the greatest gift. Uh, in the early church, sometimes they celebrated celibacy. Today, I think we celebrate more marriage, and when someone's single, we can speak a language to them that says, you know, if you don't get married or, you know, if you're... If you're if you're not moving towards that path or direction, then, man, I just feel so sorry for you. You're so unfulfilled without being married. Wow, like... What about Jesus? Wasn't he single? Did he live an unfulfilled life? Absolutely not. So, so it is possible, and, and for some, that's their gift, to live a life without sex in celibacy with a completely, totally fulfilled life because sex is not the greatest gift, but it is a gift. It is a gift. 
And when we esteem marriage, we do, but, but not also esteem singleness, we do them a disservice. Richard Hayes in his book Moral Vision said, sexual gratification is not a sacred right and celibacy is not a fate worse than death. God's good gift of sex was given for a man and woman in covenant relationship. That's the only sphere. And everything else, whatever you can name, wherever you want to go, you, you don't have to single you know, one sin out over another. Everything else is outside the bounds of God's intention as considered to be a sin and is not good for us and is not good for society. As we look at the second point here, sex has the potential to destroy do you know that good things can become destructive? So you can go away on a weekend and with your friends sit around a campfire and that, that fire is just oh so good. It warms you. It's, it, it creates an atmosphere. You're drawn to it. Um, you can be thirsty and it's a dry day and somebody gives you a, a cup of water and that water washing down your throat, it's just so refreshing. It is so good. But that same fire that warned you uncontained can become an inferno that burns down a city that same water, uncontained, can become a flood that destroys your house and your belongings and takes everything with it. In the right place, sex is a powerful thing for good. In the wrong place, misused, it becomes a weapon of mass destruction. And, 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 and you just follow history. There's such a trail of brokenness and disaster with the misuse of sex. Scott McKnight in his book, One Life, says that the, with the uncommitted partners, while some emerging adults do, and he says rarely, report general sexual and emotional happiness after sex, more than half use words like this, regret, dirty, used, guilty, empty, ashamed, alone, miserable, even abused. The nerve pathways created in the brain to solidify the relationship with one other person. Now there becomes many pathways and it becomes confusing. Memories are stored in your memory bank that when you, when you meet the one, you, but because of your previous experience, they become detriments to your bonding with that person and, and experience of shame and all those things. The idea of casual sex with no consequences is completely wrong. It's a myth. It's a ripping apart when you have sex with someone, there's a relationship, there's something that happens, and then, and then not to continue in that which, for which it was intended, there's a ripping apart, and you're a little less whole. I'm not saying that it's not pleasurable, but in that, in that time, that pleasure is not without regret. And that's not what God designed. God intended it for good. This is true not just of, uh, the destruction is true not just of person-to-person -person relationships, but it, it is also true of just one person uh, going online and on cyber porn. It is not without destructive consequences. And tonight we're going to be um, showing a documentary called Over 18, and I just want to show you a clip of that now. Addicted from nine years old. I have never met someone who said with uh, enthusiasm, I'm addicted to porn. Because anybody who's addicted knows how destructive it is. And the sad part is not just affecting our adults, but it's going younger. It's reaching into a younger and younger um, population. And, and tonight, um, we hope to empower parents, especially in, into how to, uh, for awareness and, and how to work with against that.
Um, sex is powerful. There's a drug released in our brains. Um, it can be compared to cocaine, the addictive power of it as people experience it, whether it's in relationship physically with a real person or whether it's in cyberspace and pornography. Um, God intended this sex for good in marriage, and yet here there's this experience that is depleting, depleting, depleting people. As people get hooked into pornography, they need more and more stimulation, and what they view goes darker and darker and darker. Um, there's less satisfaction with the real person who is your partner. Um, statistics show there's less stability in a relationship if they're married. Um, there's increased infidelity. There's false and distorted expectations because of what you've seen online. And then you've got all these uh, people to compare your spouse to. It's just destructive. David Grant, who's written a, a really deep theological book on sex, divine sex, it's called says that sexual fantasy generates a destructive loop by shaping our expectations for real-life relationships while it also displaces those relationships. So whether it's sex outside of God's boundaries with a real person or whether it's, it's what you're watching online, this is affecting you as a person. It's affecting who you, who you are becoming, and it is not becoming Christ-like in this process. Sometimes when young adults in particular are surveyed, they think that, well, I'll just dabble in it for a little while, and then when I meet that right person, well, then I'm going you know, to be able to shut everything else off and just be the kind of person I want to be for, for a committed relationship, but it just doesn't work that easily because our, our bodies get wired for things. It's just not smart to live that way. And how, how interesting to me it is with all the focus on sex that our society has today. It's in your face everywhere. And yet, our, our society is not experiencing good sex. I've listened to the TED Talks. They don't know what to do because it's not working. Let me tell you why. Go back to the book. Go back to the instruction manual. And look at what is intended for in the right place. And have it exist there and only there. And there we'll find flourishing and good as God intended. Third point this morning was, is that God will judge sexual immorality. As we were um, picking out the topics for this series, both and, we knew we were going to talk about this. Um, I had an idea that we would use Hebrews 13 verse 4 because of the beginning of the of the sentence which I was really familiar with but as, as I'm studying this I realized like you can't talk about this subject out of this text without addressing the fact of what it says at the end of the sentence. God will judge the sexually immoral. See what we do with our sex lives is not it's not a private thing that has no, no impact. Uh, it impacts you personally. It impacts the other person. If you're in an in a immoral relationship with that person, it has impact in that way. But we can't think that, that sex is casual and has no impact on each other, on ourselves, but it's most importantly, that it has no impact on our relationship with God. Because it's obvious from Scripture that God cares very deeply how we steward our sexuality. The marriage... Let it be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. 
In Leviticus chapter 18, um, there we are told that the nations that God drove out before Israel, um, he characterized them by the fact that they were sexually immoral. And in, that, in those verses, it says that the very land that they occupied, that these nations occupied, the very land was defiled. When you read uh, Paul's letter, the first Corinthians letter, uh, to the church there, and, and there's a situation going on where there's these two people that are involved in this sexually immoral relationship, and the church really isn't doing anything about it. And Paul says to them, you, you don't understand. Just that relationship is impacting all of you. It has impact all, on all of you. It's like a little leaven. Leaven's the whole lump. It, it affects the community. For God will judge the sexually immoral, immoral and adulterous. At the end of, of the biblical story in Revelation chapter 21, when we see the holy city come down out from heaven and we see, you know, God's going to occupy that city. He's going to be among his people. But there will be those that are excluded. And it says in Revelation 21 verse 7, the one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But... As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. See, I think sex misused is so destructive to society, God won't let it be part of his perfect society in the end. And those that are, are, are committed to perpetually engage in that are not living under the lordship of Jesus Christ and, and are not exhibiting that they have a relationship with him. And, and the Bible says that they will be excluded from what God intends for them. So there are two ways to, lo to look at this and to live. To support that sex needs to happen and only happen in marriage. And that those that are single abstain from sexual immorality because everything outside of a covenant of marriage is immoral in God's eyes. But that the whole community of faith supports that vision and that view and they live that way according to whether they're single or married. The other way is to live where we don't, we, we, we reject what God has to say and we engage in whatever because whatever feels good is where we're going to go. But the scripture says very clearly, your feelings don't matter where they lead you in this. God will judge. He is not foggy on this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, Paul writes to the church there, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. It's very clear. But here's what I like in the verse that follows that in 1 Corinthians so you may be here this morning and you know that the way you've been living out this part of your life is not in any way aligned with what we're talking about this morning. That you know you're living an immoral life and, 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 and it's not right with God and you know that. But maybe you're trapped in it and you don't know where to go with it. You're... Listen to what he says here. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ 
and by the spirit of our God. See, in the city of Corinth, I mean, there, there was rampant sexual immorality. And obviously, before people came to Christ in that city, they were involved in this. And, and who could think, like, what do you do with that? What do you do with your past like that? And so maybe you're here today, and you've got to really, really, what you, you're ashamed of your past. And the scripture is saying, you know what? You can come into a relationship with God because of what Jesus Christ has done for you, and you can be washed You can be clean of all that moral filth and garbage and darkness. You can be completely washed of that and be clean of that because of Jesus Christ. That's what he's offering to each one of us. Purity, holiness, undefiled. As I was thinking about this morning and what would would my hope be for the outcome of, of Looking at this subject the way we are this morning, what would I hope for? And um, I just wrote down three words. I would hope that we would recapture. I would hope that we would protect, and I would hope that we would run. Let me explain what I mean. I would hope that we would recapture the biblical vision I have tried to paint for you this morning of what sex is and what it is all about. I would hope we would be able to go beyond. I always just... Prohibition. Don't do this. Don't do that. And, and so that whenever we think of sex, we're, we're continually allowing the narrative of our society and world to inform us rather than Scripture, which isn't all about prohibition, although that's there. It's also about what it affirms. That sex is a beautiful gift from God for marriage, for pleasure, for fruitfulness, for multiplication, and for oneness. What a gift! And he's created our bodies for that, which affirm it in every way. We've got to go beyond my dad's instruction. Keep your pants on. Just abstain. We've got to go beyond that and recapture the biblical's rich vision of sex that it gives to us. We, we, in recapturing this, I, I would hope even this morning that what we've talked about would, would uh, encourage those of you that are married. Like, hey, if you've let this slide a little bit, Paul even writes to the, the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Like, don't defraud one another. In other words, you need to be doing this on a regular basis. Can you believe you came to church this morning and you were told that as a married couple? That's biblical. That's God's picture. Of sex, good, healthy, wholesome, in marriage, beautiful, sacred, undefiled, pure. We need to recapture this glorious vision of sex and stop letting all the, all the messages out there rob us of the true beauty that God has for his people. Secondly, we need to protect each one of us knows where our place of temptation is, um, where, we are, where we are vulnerable. Um, you know if, if, um, if you know, you're, you're already, it already has a hook in you. Uh, you know what you need to do. Um, and if you don't, uh, you can come talk to us and, and we'll, 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 we'll help you in that way. But each one of us, we need, to, we need to be on guard. I mean, we're being bombarded with this. We can't walk around like, oh, I'm just, you know, completely unaware of what's around us. No, we need to protect. We need to guard. 
So when it's with real people, we need to be careful. If you're, if you're married, you need to be careful how you respond to the opposite sex that, are, that you're not married to. Don't send the wrong signals. Don't flirt. You don't go any of those kind of places. You just don't do that. You protect that marriage relationship. And that's another reason why uh, spouses need to have sex on a regular basis. It protects your marriage relationship. It physically reminds you that you are one if you struggle with online, um, maybe you give up your phone or you make yourself accountable what you're, you know, what's on your phone or your computer. There are programs that you can put in place that help you. And one of the most powerful things in protection is what we need to do, and that is to run. Paul writes to Timothy, flee sexual immorality. Like, flee. Like, it's so powerful. You can't play with it. Like, don't be silly. Don't be stupid there. You can't play with it. it run. Run from it. And I would also say run to. Run to God, but also run to others that can help you. If you're here this morning and, and you know um, it, it has a hook in you, maybe you, you, pornography has a hook in you, um, you can talk to some of the guys with the Conquer series. If you don't want to go to the booth in the foyer, you can, you can email us, info at Central Heights Church. We'll put you through to them. Um, Come, to, come see the, the documentary tonight, and we'll, we're going to have some tools for, for everybody there. But we, we need to be a kind of community where we can run to find help as we run to God. Sex, holiness, a gift from God. And as we steward it together as people under the lordship of Jesus Christ, where we allow him and what he says to, to dictate how we live with that, we then become a countercultural community that shows the world what it looks like to, to flourish with this gift that he's given to us and glorify him. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that um, we are your heaven-spun creations. What a beautiful line, Lord. That you created us and you created us as physical beings. Our bodies are not somehow lesser. Um, they're beautiful, Lord. And you made us with desires and inclinations. And um, at the same time, Lord, we're, we're affected by the sin in this world and among us. And Lord, I thank you that you've given us clear instructions how to navigate our way so that we can live in right relationship with you, right relationship with one another, right relationship with our world. And I want to pray, Lord, in this, in this area where we are so vulnerable that you would empower us by your Holy Spirit. I also want to pray this morning for those, Lord, as we've talked about this subject, may feel shameful, um, may feel like trapped and hopeless. I want to pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would bring hope this morning. I thank you for the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ and what you're offering to us. Lord, when we mess up, when we slip up, that you're offering us to be washed again by your Holy Spirit and then to be empowered. Lord, would you help each one of us to find ways to walk in victory, the victory that you have purchased for us already at the cross and to live in the power of your Holy Spirit that you have poured out on all flesh, on those who believe in you. Lord, we want to steward our sexuality in a way that brings you glory and causes our world to flourish. In Jesus' name, amen.